0: Listening to First Church Charlotte. Go over there, brother. Go on over there. We're going to see how spiritual he is right now. Okay, you ready? Uh, how many of you know old Stand By Me song? There ain't nothing bad in the song, so don't be getting all self-righteous about it. It's just, it's just a good little song. And so I just kind of feel like he might know this song. Oh Jesus! Oh Lord, help us! Somebody better pray. Mm -hmm. When the night has come, Uh, you want to help me come up here, Don? Come up here. You done did it now. Come up here. come. Come on, somebody help me. And the land is dark and the moon. Oh, play it, brother. Is the only light you see. Ain't nothing bad in this song. Don't be getting self-righteous on me. I, I won't be afraid. No, I won't be afraid. My wife knows this song. As you stand, Stand by me. Now you can say, "Darling, that's okay." Darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand. stand by me. Stand by me. All right, that's enough. Give the pastor a hand. He's feeling the spirit over here. He's ready to go. Don't worry. I'll have Holly straighten him out later. We'll get him back on Amazing Grace and all that good stuff. Give Nathan a hand. All right. So this is their first Sunday. Make sure you get to know them. Uh, They have, uh, they're great people. They have awesome boys, uh, which will be running around here making themselves at home as is appropriate. And, um, you know, for the first time ever, when someone says, Brother Nathan sure can sing, it's going to be true. (laughs) So stand by me. Here's the thing. Uh, All of us need support in our life. Can I have a real big amen? Amen. You aren't enough. Look at your neighbor. Say, you aren't enough. All of us need support in our life. I'm going to say it again because I'm in the mood. All of us need support in our life. We can't make it simply in the ability of our own strength, of our own talents. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We're not rich enough. Well, some of you are like Don, but the rest of us aren't rich enough. We can't make it in our flesh. We need somebody to help us. That was for everybody here. So I want to take you just for a moment into the life of the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see where he is in his life. Uh, The Apostle Paul has uh, had his initial introduction to the church. He was a persecutor. You guys know the story. He was a persecutor of the church. Uh, He was there when Stephen was stoned uh, in the book of Acts chapter number 7. Stephen is stoned. And there's this interesting parallel story. I told the 9 a.m. service about it, so maybe I'll I'll share it with you also. Stephen, uh, when he is about to be killed, the people decided. They're going to do violence against him. They are, the Bible says gnashing their teeth at them. Ma- imagine that. And, and, and he knows he's, he's in trouble. He's going to. Uh, he's not getting out of this without uh, at least a lot of damage, probably his life. And he looks up into heaven, and the Bible says he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. This is the only time in the Scripture where you see uh, God presented as standing. Uh, always in the other places, when you see this representation, this thing, theophany of God. He's always standing. In fact, in uh, Hebrews chapter number one, where it talks about Jesus on the right hand of God, on the right hand of power, it shows him as seated at the right hand of God. There's only one time where you see uh, God presented as standing, and it's in this moment when the very first martyr, Stephen, is going to be killed because of the gospel he has preached. Stephen is the first one, and the image we have of God is not of him seated, not of him in some type of a recumbent or restful manner, but he's standing to receive Stephen, to stand as it were, if you'll allow me that, uh, that, that indulgent standing with Stephen. Isn't it interesting that if you're at the worst moment, it's not just the image of God in some type of an uh, attitude of rest, but he is standing with you. It's more than just a poetic image. It's more than just a profound. Image. It's more than just a theophany of who God is and what He does. It's more than that. I've come to preach to everybody here today. In your worst pain, God will stand with you. Yeah. I want to tell you, on your worst day, God is going to stand with you. When you've been forsaken of friends, when your family doesn't even know what you're going through, when you're filled with loss and heartache and pain, God is going to stand with you. He is going to be the strength under you. Underneath are the everlasting arms. I want you to agree with me in your spirits here today. God is going to stand with you. Yes, you have an enemy. That enemy is the devil, yes. But we have another enemy. That is the flesh that is within us. And we're going to do battle on a regular basis with both the enemy that is against us, the powers and the principalities of the powers of this world. And we're going to do battle against the carnal nature that turns us away from God. I've come with good news. God is standing by you. He didn't ask you to do it. He did not empower you to do. Are you hearing me? He didn't ask you to do anything. He did not empower you to do. God is standing right beside you. So we see, we see the. Apostle Paul later on in the book of Acts, chapter 27, uh, he is on a ship and he's going to Rome. And this tremendous storm, a hurricane, uh they called it in the Greek Eurocladon, but it's a hurricane, uh, comes through that Mediterranean Sea. And the Mediterranean is a large enough sea uh to have those huge storms upon. And uh we we know them as hurricanes coming off the Gulf, for example, and and the like, but in the same manner that if the wind's blowing that superheated air off of the Sahara, And it's not going off into the Atlantic, but it's either going off to the north. That superheated air meets the cool air over the ocean, the bodies of water. And the heated air hitting the cool air rears it up into the sky. It it rears up with those thunderheads that go uh, tens of thousands of feet high. And out of this churning of the cool and the heat comes the spin. And out of the spin comes the storm. And out of the storm comes the disaster of the people that are In the way of the storm. Here is Paul. Paul is not just in a storm of a natural sense. Paul, in many ways, is, you could say, he's at the lowest point of his ministry. Why? How did this happen? It's easy to see Paul as this itinerant or traveling preacher who goes city to city, and it seems like everywhere he is, good things start happening. Uh, It seems that way. Uh, He was anointed, he was powerful, he finds hungry hearts, he brings the gospel to them he is a wise soul winner. Uh, he, he knows how to become all things to all men. He doesn't go to the Greeks as though they were Jews or go to the Jews as though they were Greeks. Uh, he can talk to the philosophers, and he can also talk to the sailors. He is a, a, a triple threat, if you allow I me mean, to use a sports term. He is powerful in God. He is effective in his social connections, uh, and he is committed in his own sense of destiny. When you get those three things together it is it is though something is uh, uh, an effective and a fervent door has been opened in the spiritual realm and paul he starts in antioch but he doesn't stay in antioch he begins to travel he begins to go on missionary journeys and revival begins to follow him revival will follow whoever has those kind of commitments and that kind of anointing revival will follow you Uh, you can be used of god no, we're not the Apostle Paul, but God can use us for his glory. Does anybody agree with me here today? The Apostle Paul, he is he met with this tension in the church, and it, it is splitting the church. It, it's this tension in the church, and it's really between Gentile and Jew, and I won't spend much time on it. You guys know the story. It's an important thing to understand because it is the first Problem: the first theological storm that the church enters into. It is by far the largest. It causes the most trouble. It almost destroys, in some contexts, it almost destroys what has been started. And um, if it had not been for God's keeping power, uh, it could have turned into something that was enough to destroy the work. But uh, because of God's promise and his destination for the church, the church survived. Lives this, but it's huge social tension. How did the Gentiles be allowed into this, this heritage of the covenant of Abraham? How did this happen? It it's, 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 it's wrong. It just makes us uncomfortable. They would say, and it, it didn't start with Paul it started with Peter. Peter's the one who saw the vision from heaven, the net let down. And, and, and Peter goes on the record for that. And he opens the door, but not much changes Initially, initially, There's not a lot of Gentiles brought into the faith. And so you get this situation where the the Jewish influence believers, they can accept Gentiles as long as they are few and without much influence. But when they start getting too large, the problems that seemingly had been settled with Peter flares up all over again. And you see this struggle within the church. And Paul becomes the face of the Movement for Christianity for the Gentiles. I'm glad that Christianity is for the Gentiles too, because I am a Gentile, so I'm glad. And so you see this 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 reality uh, of the social tension, the theological disagreement, uh, the, the the point. Of 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 precision between the covenant of Abraham and this covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, and and it's it's terrible, and and Paul uh, really he he ends up being primarily a voice. To the Gentiles. While other pastors, James and and increasingly Peter, uh, has a a ministry that's primarily Jewish. Tension, awkwardness, disagreement. You ever been in a tight, a a building where there's obvious disagreements and it's just tight and everyone's uncomfortable? No one makes eye contact. Everybody stares straight ahead and it's just awkward and tight. That's what they're doing. That's what church is like in these mixed uh, congregations for them. And and Paul has this burden. He said, I would do anything to reach the Jews. I would do anything to reach the, uh, uh, the, 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 the people from whom I came. He even said this. I myself am willing to become a castaway if it would reach the house of my fathers. And. So he decides to go back to Jerusalem. Bad idea. Everybody agrees it's a bad idea. Uh, Paul's stubborn though. He, you're not going to tell Paul anything. And, uh, they, they, they send word, you know, to, not to come. And he decides he's coming anyway. And then a prophet comes and prophesies to him and says, "Look, if you go, there's going to be trouble." Uh, the prophet doesn't tell him not to go. The prophet says, "If you go, you're, 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 you're going to have trouble. You're going to be bound." And so he, he, he. Uh, He's stubborn, and he goes anyway. He gets there. Uh, the church elders lead, meet him, um, and they come up with this plan where he can show he still supports and honors uh, the Mosaic and the Abrahamic covenants. Uh, and he tries to sponsor some people at the, the, the temple, but they, uh, it doesn't work. And uh, some of the believing converted Pharisees were particularly what they were worried about. They come, and they're literally going to kill Paul in the house of God. Now uh, imagine that. And Roman soldiers rush in. They save Paul's life. They put Paul in protective custody. And they try to figure out what all the mess is about. You guys know most of the story. If you don't. It's, just a, it's, it's very important to the founding. Of the first century church. And it, it helps us to understand. And so the apostle Paul is in prison. Why is he in prison? Because the believing Jews. Want to kill him. It's a problem. This is a low point. Now, let me, let me point out something obvious to all of you. You guys know this, but I want to remind you. If your enemy doesn't like you, that's one thing, right? Your enemy doesn't like you anyway. So, I mean, you can kind of deal with that. But when someone you love doesn't like you, man, that slips past all your defenses, It's one thing when someone you knows against you talks bad about you, but when someone you thought they loved you, they talk bad about you, it slips past all your defenses. You will never feel more isolated. You will never feel more lonely. You will never feel more spiritually weakened than when you are attacked by the people to whom you have made yourself vulnerable. That's where Paul is at. So I want you to see something here. I want you to get this. When Paul is on the ship in chapter number 27, he's not just in a physical storm of wind and rain and wave. He is in a spiritual storm. He has spent nearly two years in prison because Christians want to kill him. If you think this church was born in all type of kind of goodness and smiles then you do not you have not learned your church history very well. This was a gospel made for stormy days. This was a gospel made for difficult times. And you see Paul at the he is in a storm. He literally is having to go to to Rome to get trial because he doesn't feel like he can get a fair trial in his own country. He is at the bottom. What do you do at the bottom? When you are in spiritual trouble, that's one thing. When you are in physical trouble, like sickness or illness, that's something else. When you are weak in your body, that's something else. But when you combined all of these things together, it is almost overwhelming. When you are facing spiritual struggle, at the same time, you're facing the physical struggle, weakness in your body or sickness, or you're on a fast if you're facing this kind of a thing, it is as though the whole world has come down upon you like a diamond point press. And it is crushing you because you're in both spiritual struggle and you are weak in your body. You're in pain. You're in weakness. Everything is going wrong. That's where Paul is, in the bottom of the ship. He is at the low point, the exact Bottom of the barrel where he has been rejected by the people who he was giving his life to preach what they believed. They claimed they believed the gospel. He was giving his life to it. He was at the bottom spiritually. Now he's in fasting and prayer. Tossed by this storm. And the wind drives them many, many days. And and Paul says for days we couldn't see the sun. We couldn't see the stars. We are bound in this storm of wind and rain and wave. And we all think we're going to die. And in the middle of the storm... God gives him a vision, and the vision is the angel of the Lord standing by him. I'm preaching to somebody here today who's going through it, but I'm here to tell you God's standing by you. You're facing confusion. You're facing fear. People who should be on your side have turned against you. People who you thought you could trust. You no longer think you can trust them. Hear me. God is right beside you. Some of you are facing sickness in your body. You're weak. You're tired. You're living with pain. You are waking up in pain. It hurts. You don't know how you got to this point. I want you to know right now, I want you to get this down in your spirit. God is standing right by you, you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Yes, you feel alone. I said, yes, you feel alone. Um, I think one of the most effective tools against people of faith is to convince us that we are indeed alone. Uh, I think one of the most effective weapons that the enemy has against us is to isolate us. Because in weakness, we become uh, susceptible to trials that we would have never felt in strength. Uh, When you feel like you're alone, there is a very high probability that you will quit. The enemy won't have to defeat you. You will quit. If you feel isolated enough, you will quit. Not because the enemy has defeated you. You have not been defeated. But because when you're alone, you have a much higher probability of giving up on what you have been called to do. I want to remind all of you who do anything for the Lord. I want to remind all of you who serve the Lord in any way. I want to remind all of you who volunteer in some way or you witness in some way. Whatever you do, I want to tell you right now and I want you to get this down in your spirit. God sees everything you do. God. God sees every tear you cry. He hears every prayer you pray. God sees what you do to support. You say, all I did was give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. I'm saying, welcome to the club. God sees exactly what you are doing. God sees everything heaven help us from getting caught up into needing the approval of humanity. I can never know what you've given for God, but I want you to know He sees everything you're doing. I love a story. There's a story, an illustration from the construction of the great uh, architectural uh, wonder of the of the ancient world we know as the Parthenon that's in Greece. Uh, it's that building with all the ionic columns, the beautiful columns, and then the the, 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 the roof built upon those columns. And uh, in the building of it, one of the builders was a, a very devout man. He was a, a famous sculptor. I believe his name was Phineas. Uh, I couldn't remember it in the 9 a.m. service, but I think it just came to me. I, I think his name was Phineas. He was a fa- famous sculptor, one of the best who's ever lived. And they, they contracted him to sculpt the faces that are on the front of that Parthenon structure. Uh, the columns come up and then there's that triangle. If you look at the front of it, and that, that is the roof uh, architecture. And all across the front of that, there was uh, faces that were carved in that. And what was interesting is he did not simply carve the front of the face. He did the whole thing. He, he spent as much Time on the back of those uh, those the, those those sculptures as he did on the front, and they asked him, "Why would you do that? The only thing anybody's ever going to see is the front. Why would you spend just as much time on the back?" He said, "Oh no, you're wrong." He said, "Somebody will see. God will see. I do the front of it for you. I do the back of it for God." Let me tell you, there is in all of our lives things we do for God, and some of it we get credit for, and some of it we don't. But if you can live your life like you're going to do it all for God, you will have a blessing of purpose and anointing upon you. If you're praying and no one shows up, you pray like the whole house is there. If you're praising and no one else is praising, you praise as though God is there. Some of it's for others, but all of it is for God. He's standing by. He sees everything we do. He sees everything we give. You are not alone. But if you come to believe that you are alone, then you will quit when you haven't even been defeated because you were not made to be alone. Real quickly, before I close here today... I want to give you some practical understanding on the reality of loneliness. Now, loneliness is a human thing. All of us will feel some of it in times of our life. That's first of all. But it's also it's also not just true uh, in the sense of we are all human. But it's also true in the sense of ministry. If you try to do anything for God, uh, you, will be, you will be sometimes discouraged. You will be sometimes uh, set back. <laughs> uh, you will feel uh, like no one else has the vision. Vision. You'll feel like no one else appreciates what you're doing. That's part of leading. Uh, all of you who do anything for the Lord, you will feel that way. We need to, all of us have an understanding, a biblical understanding on how to overcome these feelings of, of loneliness. Because if we don't, then we will quit and we haven't even been defeated. I know I'm repeating myself. I want you to get it. We will quit and we've never even been defeated because we feel so much isolation and loneliness in our, in our life. you know, Know the number one, they've surveyed thousands of pastors of all denominations, of all backgrounds, of all theological histories and legacies. They've interviewed them. And by far, the number one thing that is mentioned as a trial in their life is loneliness. Think about that. Here are people who they are either, most of them are full-time ministry. They're, they're, they're able to do uh, full-time what is in their heart. Um, they, 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 and the biggest thing they struggle with is is loneliness if we do anything for God uh, if we accomplish anything for God loneliness is going to be one of the most effective ways that the enemy and the, the world and our own fears attack us and work against us so I want to real quickly point out a few biblical truths that you will be able to use as a spiritual toolbox to fight loneliness in your life first of all when you feel Lonely, it's not weakness, okay? It's very common, particularly us type A leader type people. Um, it, we, we, we perceive loneliness as weakness. I feel lonely, that must mean I'm weak. I want to kill that notion once and for all. Uh, loneliness is not weakness. Loneliness is how you were made. Let me restate that. You need companionship. You were made to be joined with others, And when you feel loneliness, that's not weakness. It may turn into weakness, but it's not weakness. It's how you are made. Let me read this scripture to you from uh, Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one. Somebody say it with me. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. When you desire friendship, when you long for fellowship, when you desire companionship, that does not make you weak. That is how you were made. Even in the harshest environments of the human experience, where the most antisocial, the most dysfunctional people in the world are all gathered up, we call it prison. When you gather them, even in a place like that, the worst punishment you can give to somebody is solitary confinement. That's how much we need other people. If we don't have other people, we literally start becoming... uh, It's almost like we start dealing with mental health problems we would never deal with. It's like we start breaking down in our psychology. You need other people. God designed you that way. It is not weakness. Number two, the second biblical truth you need to have in your life. God understands your loneliness. He's not just the supreme being, but he took on flesh and became like as we are. And he was in all points tempted, yet Emerged victorious from temptation as our eternal victor. He knows what it is to be alone. He's not just looking at you confused, saying, How could you ever feel that way? Of his comforters, the Bible says, There were none knows what loneliness feels like. He made you the way you are. He understands the way you feel. When he cried on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knows how you feel. He's walked the road. You are not alone. He knows. First of all, You were made to need others. Second of all, God understands your loneliness. Third of all, God prepares families in which he places people. That family is called the local church. And I am a huge believer in the local church. The local church is God's plan to influence a community. local church is God's plan to have a Christian charity culture perceived among a generation. The local church is God's plan. There is a place for you and your talents and your abilities in a local church. Some of you are blessed with great families who uh, love you and uh, accept you, and you are rich in that regard. Some of you do not have that kind of a blessing, and your families are either non-existent or they're awkward and riven uh, through troubles and disagreements and the like. I want you to know this, whether you are blessed with family or you have no family, God has made you a family and he has placed you within that family. God wants to use your talents in this local church. God wants to use your capacity to love other people in this local church. And a family is a place where you're accepted. You don't have to ask whether or not you belong there, honey. You're in the family. Of this scripture. This is one of my absolute favorite scriptures in all the word of God. This is Psalm 68 verse number five. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. Hear this. God sets the solitary in families. God sets the solitary in. Fa- oh, I'm going to say it again. I just, it's blessing me. God sets the solitary in families. church is God's divine family for you to join with others and be a giver of strength and a receiver of strength. There's people in the church who won't just love you, they will like you. I get tired of churches talking about how we love everybody, but then they act like they don't like anybody but themselves. Hear me today. You will not go over somebody's house who loves you, but doesn't like you. You won't go. On the other hand, you'll go to somebody's house who they don't love you, but they like you. Don't act like that does not matter. It matters. God will place you in a community and God will give you people who will pray for you and support you and lift up your arms and bind up your wounds. You need to believe in the power of God through the working of the church. So that's number three. That's number three. And uh, next, I want to say to you that if God has in some way uh, set you in a life where there's a lot of seeming isolation in your life, it might be but because God is wooing you into a close relationship with him. Paul says something to widows. Paul writes a direct word to widows in his letter to Timothy. And he says, uh, if the, to, to she who is a widow and left alone, uh, she trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. What are you talking about, Paul? God is your completion. You know what we do with people who join us? we join together other people people make us complete when you are not made complete in a human relationship you need to see that as a divine invitation to make you complete in a divine relationship this is the house where you can be drawn close to God and you can become friends with God. Will God really help us? Will God really be with us? Fear not, Isaiah writes 41 and 10, for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right. And I want you to know you are not alone. God said he's going to be with you. And even today he stands by you. Let's all stand. I want to invite you to step out of the chair you're standing in right now. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.